Luke 17, big idea of the message today, we're going to be talking and looking at thankfulness, what it is to be a thankful person. And you know, I'm reminded of a story as we get started of a a couple of cowboys making their way to the barn and they're taking a shortcut across a a neighbor's field and uh, about halfway across they realize the neighbor has left his bull out in the field and the bull sees these guys and he's not having any part of it and so he begins to charge them. Now they're running for their lives trying to get to the fence on the other side and it soon becomes apparent that they ain't going to make it, you know. And so the one guy's yelling to his buddy as they're running, he's like, Joe, you got to put up a prayer. Well, Joe's thinking in his mind, I'm not a church boy, like I, I, the, I'm not, I, I can't remember how to pray, whatever, and so he hearkens back in his mind to, he, as a kid growing up, he used to hear his dad praying at the dinner table, and so uh, he just recites the prayer, the only prayer he knows. He's like, Lord, <coughs> for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. <laughs> Thankfulness. Jesus here in Luke 17 We've been going through this. He's still on his way to Jerusalem, and he's pouring into his disciples. He's preparing to pass the baton onto these guys, you know, and these knuckleheads are going to have to continue his work, you know, after he ascends into heaven. And as he goes, so he's given these series of instructions to his disciples as he's headed now on his way to Jerusalem. Um, And Luke 17 keys in on certain essentials of the Christian life that are key to our walk. And specifically, what Jesus focuses on here is four essentials of the Christian life. We've been going through this together. So far, we've looked at the essential of forgiveness, and we've looked at the essential of faithfulness. Today, we're going to look at the essential of thankfulness, and next week, we're going to look at the essential of preparedness. So the essential of thankfulness, Luke 17, verse 11 is where we left, and it says, Now it happened... As he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices, and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And so when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was, that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And so Jesus answered, and he said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So the story here, the scene of our story, the text tells us, is on the border between Samaria and Galilee. Galilee was a Jewish region, and Samaria uh, was a region that it was inhabited by Samaritans, and the Samaritans and the Jews hated each other. Here's why. It goes back hundreds of years, actually, and what, it goes to a time when the Assyrians had invaded Israel, and they invaded specifically the, the northern kingdom of Israel, and they occupied it. <coughs> and so as the Assyrians occupied the northern kingdom of Israel... They began to take Jewish wives, and over time, 
the product of this mixed race became known as the Samaritans. And so the Jews despised the Samaritans because they perceived them uh, as half-breeds. They perceived perceived them as sellouts, as traitors to the nation of Israel and to uh, the one true and living God. And, And so there was this deep despisal of the Jews towards the Samaritans and, you know, when you're somebody who's hated, the, the natural reaction is you hate the person right back. And that's what happened here. And so deep-seated hatred going both ways. Samaritans hating Jews, Jews hating uh, Samaritans. It would get so bad that if you were a Jew, you wouldn't even walk through Samaria. You would, uh, and it didn't matter if it was going to add a half a day's journey that you had to walk all the way around Samaria. You would do that just because you didn't want to set foot on Samaritan land, your hatred went uh, that strongly. But now here we read, Jesus enters this region and he finds this mix of 10 men. And what do you have? These guys dwelling, hanging out together. You've got both Jews and Samaritans uh, together. And verse 12 tells us what had brought them together. They were lepers. That's what brought them together. Now, leprosy, it's an infection caused by a slow-growing bacteria. And uh, it's still around today. It's called Hansen's disease. And um, it it affects the nerves. It affects the skin. um, And in severe cases, you can actually lose fingers, digits, whole arms, limbs uh, that can waste away and literally fall off uh, to this dreaded disease. Now, there's a cure for it today if you catch it early. But in biblical times, there was no cure for it. And they perceived it as being highly infectious. It's actually not as highly infectious as they perceived it to be. But they perceived it that way. Here's this highly infectious disease, they thought. And there's no cure for it. Truly, they didn't have one. And so the remedy was that if you had leprosy, you were cast out of society. And you had to go through life all alone. You had to go through life just completely isolated, lonely, humiliated, because they would say, when you went out, if you went out onto the streets, you had to cry out, I'm unclean, 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 so that people wouldn't, wouldn't have to touch you. And if they touched you, they would become themselves ceremonially unclean and themselves barred for, for a time from all of society and human contact. And so this was a horrible way for them to live. Very lonely, very isolated, and the only kind of community that they would enjoy was fellowship with other lepers who were in the same condition. And so what would happen is uh, the barriers that would normally isolate you from another person, specifically, you know, you're a Samaritan, I hate you, you're a Jew, I hate you, all of that disappeared because we share this common malady. And so now it's those, those barriers are non-existent. Any port in a storm, man, you're, you're, you're the only one I can spend time with. I'm going to spend time with you. I like what William Barclay said. I'll put it up on the screen. He said, a common misfortune had broken down the racial and national barriers. Uh, in the common tragedy of their leprosy, they had forgotten that they were Jews and Samaritans and remembered only that they were men in need. Uh, we could take a walk with that. There's a whole message in that uh, in regard to how racial barriers and, and other social barriers and other barriers of hatred, we see them melt away in the body of Christ. 
don't we? In the, within the church, you have community of all of these diverse groups. You know, only in a church uh, could, and in, and in a Christian setting, could, could you have guys that are former gangbangers and, and guys that, you know, are police officers, uh, and they, they're, they're just together as brothers in Christ, arm in arm, you know, singing praise to the Lord. You're like, where does that happen anywhere else? It happens in the body of Christ. It's beautiful. And so these lepers, though, they're outcasts, they're banding together, and they stood afar off. And verse 13 says, they lifted up their voices. Notice, and what do they shout? They say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That word master is significant. It literally means chief commander. Uh, this is the same word that Peter used when we were in Luke chapter 5. You remember the story that Jesus gets into Peter's boat, says put out a little bit from the shore, and he preaches to the multitudes, and then he turns to Peter, and he says, hey, launch out into the deep for a catch. And, and the backstory is that, you know, commercial fishermen all knew that at the Sea of Galilee, you didn't fish in the daytime, you fished at night. You didn't fish in the deep water, you fished in the shallow water. And, you know, the text said that, that Peter had already gone out and fished all night, already cleaned up all his stuff, you know, already, you know, caught nothing, not very successful that night. Um, but now Jesus tells him to do something that's completely contrary to everything that he as a commercial fisherman knows will work. And so Peter could, could have easily at that point said, hey, carpenter, mind your own business. You know, I'm, I'm the commercial fisherman around here. Uh, and Jesus could say in reply, well, you're not a very good one because you didn't catch anything last night kind of thing. But that's not what went down. What went down was that Peter, he put up a mild protest. He's like, master, you know, chief commander, we've, we've fished all night and we caught nothing, but nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to let down the net. And so it's this attitude, it's this idea that, that these lepers, as they come, they knew that Jesus was totally in command. He's completely in command of sickness, of disease, of, of everything that, that is in their life. In other words, they knew that their identity didn't have to be defined by their condition, but that it could be defined by Christ. This is what they knew, even though they were in this state. They knew that there was more for them than being an outcast in the community of the lepers, that they could find healing in communion with Jesus. This is what they knew. But listen, it's more than that. It's more than that. Because here with these leprosy, with these people afflicted with leprosy, leprosy had a special significance in the community. It was more than just a disease. See, and so what, what Jesus is offering them isn't just healing, it's cleansing. Here's why. The Jews thought that if you were afflicted with leprosy, that it was punishment for sin. They thought that if you had contracted leprosy, this was a mark of God's displeasure in your life. And, and this is why we read in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew, the very first Gospel and the very first healing <coughs> that you will ever see Jesus do, it was to heal a man who was afflicted with leprosy. And, and in so doing, what was Jesus doing? He's showing that Jesus came to cleanse us from our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to turn the wrath of God away from us. Because the Bible is clear. The Bible says that we are all sinners by nature and by choice. The Bible makes it clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. 
See, the Jews were wrong. Leprosy was an illness. It wasn't an indication of sin and God's displeasure. But Jesus uses their attitude about that to reveal that, yes, you are all afflicted with the disease of sin, and that is something that God is displeased with. Sin separates you from God. Sin marks you out as somebody who cannot enjoy fellowship with God and cannot enjoy fellowship for all of eternity. There is no cure for the disease of sin except the man Jesus Christ, except for the person and the work of Jesus This is the only cure of sin that's available to us. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says that God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this that while we are yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. That's true for everybody here today. There's nothing the Bible says that you can do to separate yourself from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And maybe today you're in a place where Jesus needs to heal you, where Jesus needs to touch you, where you have never invited Jesus to cleanse you of your sin, to come in and to be your Lord and Savior. And today I'll give you that opportunity as we're closing in prayer to pray, to receive Christ. And if you're here today and you've got this voice that thinks, man, I've, I've done too much, or you've got this voice that says, man, if I got hit by a bus today, I have no idea where I would spend eternity. <clears throat> you can be sure. You can know that your sins are forgiven today by, by praying and asking Jesus Christ to cleanse you of your sins, to forgive you of all unrighteousness. And just as these lepers are crying out, Master, Lord, Chief Commander, heal us, you can cry out today and say, Lord, heal me. And so the very first healing we see is is Jesus finding this person who society thinks that God hates and healing them. And maybe today, like these lepers, you know, their identity and their condition, maybe your identity has been in your condition. You know, your condition of illness or your condition of addiction or your condition of abuse. Whatever it is, today, like these lepers, you can call out to Jesus, the chief commander. You can say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. Here's what the Lord said, the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 37. He said, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. He'll never reject you if you come to him on on those terms of saying, have mercy on me. And so, verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was as they went that they were cleansed. It's interesting, Jesus never heals the same way twice. When you read through the Gospels and you see Jesus you know, perpetuating healing, it's never the same way twice in the Gospels. The first encounter that Jesus had with a leper in Matthew's Gospel, also Mark records the same uh, incident in the harmony of the Gospels. Um, in that instance, Jesus reached out and he touched the leper to heal him. Now, remember what I said. If you touched a leper, you were considered to be ceremonially unclean. So Jesus, when he touched that leper to heal him, he would have been considered ceremonially unclean. He wasn't, but this is the way he would have been perceived. And this is symbolic of how Jesus rescues you and me from sin. This is a great symbol. It's a great picture that 
you know, God, I'll put it on the screen for you, 2 Corinthians 5.21, I've already quoted it. For God made him who knew no sin <coughs> to be sin or to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so, so this is how Jesus heals the first person with leprosy that he encounters in, in the Gospel of Matthew, again in the Gospel uh, of Mark. But here in Luke chapter 17, Jesus demonstrates another aspect of healing, and that aspect is the exercise of faith. He doesn't touch these group of 10 lepers now that come to him. Jesus is going to demonstrate another act of healing. He demonstrates this, act, this, this exercise of faith. He commands the group of lepers, notice, go show yourselves to the priest. See, Leviticus chapter 13 specified that when a person <clears throat> was healed of leprosy, that they needed to go show themselves to the priest so the priest could, could confirm, in fact, that they had been healed and the priest could give them the once over and go, yep, that's been confirmed. You, in fact, have had a healing from your leprosy. You're no longer unclean. But that seems to be problematic here in Luke 17 because Jesus hasn't healed them yet. He tells them, hey, go show yourselves to the priest. And they're like, show what? That I've got leprosy? Because you haven't done nothing yet. But what he's saying, he's calling them to is an exercise of faith. He's saying, turn and go and show yourself to the priest. And <clears throat> what happens as they're exercising that faith, notice what the text says. It says, as they went, that they were healed. Right? Their obedience to the command was evidence of the faith that they had. It was their faith, and the exercise of faith, and it's not, it's not faith in and of itself, <clears throat> it's the object of their faith, it's what they're placing their faith in. This is no dig, but I could put my faith in you know, some medical product or some essential oil or whatever it is and say, that's going to heal me. No, the incidence here is the exercise of faith is the object of my faith is Jesus Christ and the command that he's given to me as one of these 10 lepers and it's as they went <clears throat> that they were healed. See, the Bible says without faith that it's impossible to please God. The Bible says that the only way to salvation is through faith. Let me give you that verse. It's Hebrews 11 verse 6. I'll give it to you in the New Living Translation up on the screen. Here's what it says. <clears throat> it is impossible to please God without faith Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Now you back up to Hebrews 11.1. 1. I'll put that on the screen for you. This tells us what faith is. It says that faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance <clears throat> about things that we cannot see. I love Adam Clark's commentary on this. He says, God highly honors this kind of faith <clears throat> and he makes it the instrument in his hand of working many miracles. He who will not believe till he receives what he calls <clears throat> a reason for it is never likely to get his soul saved. The highest, most sovereign reason that can be given for believing is that God has commanded it. And so these 10, they all now turn in faith to go show themselves to the priest. And as they turned, as they went, they're all healed. 
verse 15 says, and one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he's like, okay, this is what the Lord says. He turns, he's like, well, what do you know? It's all gone. It's all cleared up. And so he, he, as he sees that he's healed, he returned and with a loud voice glorified God. In other words, he's like, okay, go show yourself to the priest. And he's on his way and he goes, oh, wait a minute. This has happened. And he's like, before I go show myself to the priest, I got to go back and I got I to glorify Jesus. I got to thank him. I got to praise the Lord. So he glorifies God in a loud voice. And verse 16 says, he fell down on his face <clears throat> at Jesus' feet. He's given him thanks. And by the way, the, the, act of, the act of giving him thanks, it's not like a one-time, oh, thank you, you know, a perfunctory kind of thing. No, it's on and on. He's uh, an active, ongoing, just profusely pouring out his thanks. And it says he was a Samaritan. And so Jesus answered, and he said, we're not, we're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Where are the nine? Now, the key word in our text, it's found here in verse 16, and that's the word thanks, right? That's the key word in our text. That's the big idea of this whole section of teaching. It's this word thanks. In the Greek, it's pronounced uh, eucharisteo. That's the word, eucharisteo. And <clears throat> what it means, this word thanks, it means literally to be filled with a grateful thanks, with gratitude. It's the same word that Jesus used at the Last Supper when he broke the bread and he gave God the Father thanks. For what? For what God was preparing to do. Now, the significance of that is that Jesus is pouring out this grateful thanks at the Last Supper for what God the Father is about to do, but what God the Father is about to do is going to be an excruciating experience for Jesus Christ. I mean, can you imagine if you knew that you were going to be crucified tomorrow morning to be able to, to pour out this grateful thanks? You would have overwhelming dread for this thing. But Jesus pours out this grateful thanks. The dictionary says this. It says that thankfulness is an adjective that expresses a conscious awareness of a benefit that is received. In other words, thankfulness is an attitude of gratitude. Biblically, it's an acknowledgement that all that we have, all that we have received, hey, that just is, that's it, that we have received it. It is a benefit that we have received, not something that we have manufactured. All we have is because we have received it. And the Bible says that this kind of thankfulness is supposed to be the hallmark of believers of God. Those who have received Christ as their Lord and Savior, whose, whose lives have been sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, who have the Holy Spirit living within them. Listen, thankfulness is to be a hallmark of being God's child. Here's what the Bible says. The, the psalmist, Psalm 100 verse 4, exhorts us to praise. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Paul said to the Colossians, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body. And then he says this, he says, be thankful. And that word be in the Greek, it literally means to become or to take place. And the idea is that you make a determination to be thankful. 
that it's not thankfulness and gratitude and praise only when you, you like what you got, only when you like what you have received. But you are thankful and you make a determination to be thankful no matter what it is that's going on in your life. And we have to take a walk with that and go, man, how convicting is that? Because how often am I grumbling and am I complaining? But do I rather understand I'm supposed to be thankful in all things, to give thanks and praise to to the one who I have received, whatever is my lot. The Scottish preacher Alexander White, he was notorious for being this man who always had these thankful prayers that he would pray in the pulpit. So it, no matter what the day, no matter what the occasion, he was always just giving you know, these flowing, uh, overwhelming prayers of praise. And one day, the, mis- the weather was just absolutely miserable. Uh, it, was, it was worse than last Thursday. I mean, it was just disgusting. And, um, and the, there was a guy in his church, and he's thinking to himself, there is nothing that this guy is going to be able to find on this miserable day to, to thank God for on this day. And uh, this pastor gets into the pulpit, and he says, we thank thee, God, that it's not always like this, Right? <laughs> Always find something to to praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, in contrast to this exercise of thankfulness that that believers, that God's children um, are to exercise, those who know God are supposed to exercise, the Bible says that unlike that hallmark for believers, the hallmark for unbelievers, for those who reject God, is a lack of thankfulness. Here's what Romans chapter uh, 1 says, verses 18 and verse 21. It tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, those who have rejected God, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Verse 21 goes on to say, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their hearts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so the hallmark of an unbeliever is unthankfulness. Uh, Henry Allen Ironside, uh, an old uh, pastor uh, from uh, the mid-20th century, he's gone home to be with the Lord, but uh, he was eating at a, at a restaurant, I think it was in Chicago, and it was a packed restaurant and you had to share tables. It was kind of like, you know, the goat and vine, where you go in and they're packed and you got to share a table with somebody else. Um, and so he's sharing a table with some stranger and uh, Pastor Ironside, you know, bows his head when his food comes and he's praying, you know, his prayer of thanks to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what I'm about to receive, right? And so he's praying, and the guy looks at him disgustingly, this stranger sitting with him. He says, oh, you're one of those, huh? And he says, one of, one of what? And he says, one of those that prays for your food. He says, well, yeah. I'm, I'm giving thanks and praise to the one who provides. And the guy basically says, look, I, I, don't, ever, I don't ever pray for my food. Um, he, he, says, he says, I worked hard for my money. I earned it. Uh, I earned, you know, my money, it's mine, and I earned my meal, it's mine, so when my food comes in, I just dig right in. And Pastor Ironside looks at me and says, yeah, you're just like my dog, he digs right in too. <laughs> Dude, <clears throat> you didn't have to hit the gas that hard, right? Take note of Jesus' response here in verse 17. It's hugely significant to the main point of the text, Okay. What's he say there in verse 17? He says, he answers and he says, <clears throat> when this Samaritan comes praising him, thanking him, 
He says, were there not 10 cleansed, where are the nine? Where are the nine? I challenge you in your Bible, maybe to circle that, that phrase, the nine, and write your name next to it. We're, we're not all, we're all 10 cleansed. Where's Ted? Where's Brenda? Where's Scotty? Where's Tom? Where's Sally? Where's Sue? Where are the nine? See, the Lord is looking for you and I to give to him glory for that which we have received. In every circumstance, in every situation, in every day. And listen, I want you to understand, this is true even when your world is falling apart. This This is true not just even if your world is falling apart, it's true especially when your world is falling apart, that you need to be a person to give God praise. And this is not just a, you know, a Disney movie, Pollyanna, hey, just find the, the silver lining and everything. This is an attitude of gratitude. This is one that acknowledges your Father in heaven who nothing passes his desk that he doesn't know about. And even if, and, and you know, I have a dear friend right now going through a horrible trial. And the Bible exhorts us that in everything, we are to give thanks to God. We're to praise God. We're to glorify him. I talked to you about Jesus at the Last Supper, breaking the bread and giving to God this kind of thanks. He's facing death. He, he's, he's going to the cross. And you know, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, it's talking to believers. And it's basically has just gone through this great litany of faith and all these faithful saints that have passed, that have gone through all these horrible trials, but they've lived their lives in faith. And it's exhorting us as believers, we too need to be those that go through our trials and live our lives in faith. And it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, uh, uh, he, he, he despised the cross. He rejected its shame. But, but, but he focused on, on that which is coming and he praised God. See? And, and the thing is, is that we are to be those, the, the one that comes and no matter the circumstances, we worship God. I read the story about Irma Bombeck. She was a, a writer, hysterical uh, writer and, and um, She's since gone home to be with the Lord, but there was a time <clears throat> when she was suffering through breast cancer. And, uh, and she said, every time I'm tempted to grumble, I hear the voice of an eight-year-old named Christina. Uh, she said, Christina had cancer of the nervous system, and somebody asked her, what do you want for your birthday? And Christina thought long and hard, and she finally said, I don't know, I have two sticker books and a Cabbage Patch doll. I have everything. And Irma Bombeck said, you know what? That kid is right. She does have everything. She's made this determination. I think about Pastor John Corson. And, and you know, he's, he's a godly man and a great example to the body of Christ. And here's a man, he lost his wife under tragic circumstances. I believe it was a car accident. He lost his daughter, tragically, in a car accident. And he recently lost his son, Peter John, to cancer. Untimely death. Horrible trials that he's gone through. And Peter John going through this right on the threshold of death. And, and I was listening to Pastor, Pastor John Corson talking about it. 
And, and I, I did this from memory, so, so I, I have a, a, a quote that I didn't put up on the screen because this isn't an exact quote, but, but basically this is the essence of what he said. He, goes, he said, I don't know why God does what he does, and I don't always agree with it, but I know that he's good. And he said, and he's been very good to me. He's forgiven me of my sin. He's given me a future and a hope, uh, and I have nothing but thankful praise for a good father who loves me and who loves Peter John. And he went on to talk about how he, he knows I'm going to be reunited with him in heaven. And the faith of this faith, man, it's a matter of just saying, I'm going to be thankful to the one who saves my soul. I'm going to be thankful to the one who has redeemed me and forgiven me of all sin. And even though I have to go through these trials and my loved ones have to go through these trials, I can live a life of thankful praise because God promises he'll never leave me, he'll never forsake me, and that as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our sins from us. And so Jesus here, he asks this question, where are the nine? And again, quoting G. Campbell Morgan, he says, the question was asked and it at once proves the value that God sets upon the service of praise. And one wonders, he continues, whether it is not so that our Lord has been asking this question very constantly. Is he asking that question about you this morning? Where are the nine? Where's Peter? Where's, where's Jane? Where's Bob? Where's Roy? Are you living a life of praise? Are you living a life of gratitude? Are you living a life of of thankfulness because that's supposed to be the hallmark of a child of God. It's interesting. We see that all of these 10, they're all willing to do this religious ceremony. They're all willing to go to the priest as Jesus prescribes, but only one was filled with true praise and true thanksgiving. And it would seem, as you look at this last verse here in our text, verse 19, that there was an extra healing given to this 10th leper the one who would return and give praise. Jesus says there in verse 19, and he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Likely what's in view here is that this is talking about God's work in the leper's heart. You see, the other lepers had whole bodies, but they had sick hearts. But this this 10th leper, he had a whole body and he had a whole heart, a healed heart. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, external religious exercises are easy enough and they're common enough, but the internal matter, the drawing out of the heart in thankful love, how scarce a thing it is. Nine obey ritual where only one praises the Lord. Let me ask you a question as we close. Is that you? Is that you? We want to invite you today to live a life of thankful praise. This is what we're called to as believers. This needs to be the hallmark of our lives. So we want to invite you to live this life of thankful praise, to worship Jesus with expressive gratitude, to to consciously remember the mighty works of God. The psalmist said this, I close with this, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face forevermore. Remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth.
Amen. Can we praise Him, church, today? Father, we give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks for your faithfulness in us and for your work and, Lord, for what you have done, who you are. We come to the communion table today, Lord, this bread representing your body broken for us, this cup representing your blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and we give you thanks and praise because you are worthy of all of our thanks and praise. Lord, we acknowledge... And I pray for right now those that are struggling through difficulty, those that are struggling through hardship. Father, I pray that you would help us to cast all of our cares upon you, knowing that you care for us. That even today, if my world is falling apart, God, help me to focus on that which I have to be thankful for. Lord, if nothing else, we have the thanks and praise that is due your name. Because you have promised to forgive us all of our sins. You have cleansed us from all unrighteousness in Jesus Christ. And you have given to us a future and a hope. That at the end of the day, we have paradise in heaven awaiting us. And a father who loves us, who has promised, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And you have said that the old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new in Jesus Christ. You have promised us a future and a hope. You've promised us a resurrection body which will never grow old, which will never suffer from sin or from from shame. You've cleansed us from all of these things and so we give you thanks and praise. In this attitude of prayer, I want to ask you today, do you have that hope? Do you have that reason to be thankful? If today were your last day on earth, do you know where you would spend eternity? Because God says to you today that you're precious to him, that he loves you, and that he offers you forgiveness and cleansing in Jesus Christ. Today, if you need to have your sins forgiven, if you need to have your conscience cleared, if you need Jesus to make you that new creation, to give you the hope of eternal life, the hope of heaven when you die, if this is you today, I want to invite you right now Would you just raise your hand or ask Jesus to be your Savior here that I might pray for you? Just raising your hand, just saying, Lord, I need you. Right here, I see your hand. Right here, up front, I see your hand. There on the side, I see your hand. Right here, I see your hand. Back in, there in the back, raising your hand over here on the side and the right. Right over here on my right, you're raising your hand to receive Christ. Right up here in front, raising your hand to receive Christ. Anybody else in this place? Lord Jesus, I need forgiveness. I see your hand over here to the left. Anybody else here in this place? Lord Jesus, I need forgiveness. I need cleansing. Jesus, I need you right now. This last, this last invitation. I see your hand right up front. Those of you that have raised your hands, I want to lead you in a prayer. This is a prayer of surrender to God, and it's a prayer of invitation that Jesus would enter your heart and, and cleanse you of your sin and make you that new creation that he's promised to make you. And so you can pray this prayer out loud after me or you can pray this prayer silently in your heart after me. What matters is that you mean it. And so I'm going to lead you in a prayer and then I'll give you some instructions after that. So repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner 
that, that I have sinned against you. And I confess that, that Lord, I'm sorry. And, and that I need a Savior to save me and to cleanse me of my sin and to take away my guilt and shame. But more than that, I need you to change me and to make me a new creation in Christ. Help me to know you and help me to walk with you to have a relationship with you to be a new creation. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin in my place. I believe that you rose again on the third day. And I believe that now you have ascended into heaven, that there you are praying for me right now by name, and that a day is coming when you will return. Lord, make me ready for your return, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus.